All right, y'all, we have a fantastic episode, something that I've been waiting and waiting and waiting patiently to get started on with um, Chad Johnson, the guy who we hired and, and found to help us build out our farm here in Lockhart. He's a permaculture expert. He's dialed in. He's learned from a number of the best professionals in the world, from Sepp Holzer, who took him under his wing, to different indigenous and Native American teachers. And um, he's got such a wealth of knowledge of of the earth and how to listen and work with the elements. And uh, I'm just thrilled. We're going to talk a bit about what we're doing here at our farm. We're going to talk about some of the key differences that Sepp Holzer sought to break free from the mold of other people that were getting into organic farming and and uh, some of the shifts away from factory farming or, or monocrop and big agriculture, they're not universal. It's not like everyone agrees on this one thing, like, oh, yeah, yeah, that, that's wrong. We'll do it this way. Um, and so with that, you know, the proof's in the pudding. We get to see that. We get to see exactly what you're capable of when you utilize heavy equipment to hold the water and work with the wind and the air and the earth itself and just awesome, awesome stuff. I would keep going on and on about Chad, but I do not need to do. What I do need to do is get through these wonderful sponsors who make this show possible. Uh, every time you buy a supplement or order from one of our sponsors, it helps keep the show going strong, and I absolutely love them. I've handpicked each, each and every one of these guys that's on the podcast today. They are fantastic. We're brought to you today by Neurohacker. To try Qualia Mind, go to neurohacker.com where a month's supply of Qualia Mind is currently up to 50% off and enter code KKP at checkout for an additional 15% off. It's vegan, non-GMO, gluten-free, and backed with a 100-day money-back guarantee. That's N-E-U-R-O-H-A-C-K-E-R.com to try Qualia Mind for 100 days risk-free and enter code KKP for an extra 15% off. Nootropics are substances that support focus, memory, mood, and general mental performance. But for years, the only enhancements I experienced to my mental performance were the ones that came at the expense of balanced emotional presence, and I value that just as much. But I recently tried a nootropic formula that supports the mental sharpness and emotional presence I want in my daily experience. If you want to know what healthy mental enhancement can and should feel like, and you want to support optimal brain health at the same time, you need to try Qualium Mind. I personally know their CEO, James Schmachtenberger, who was a guest on this podcast, and his science team at Neurohacker Collective formulated Qualia Mind specifically to provide a more holistic, naturopathic approach to supporting brain health and mental performance. Qualia Mind's 28 ingredients are not only backed by neurology research, but they're also blended specifically to complement each other's role in supporting optimal brain nutrition. Instead of overriding neuroregulation or spiking one's facet of mental performance at the expense of another, Qualia Mind provides broad-spectrum nutritional support for the best mindset I've felt in years. As the husband of an amazing wife and a dad to a six-year-old son and a one-and-a-half-year-old daughter, Qualia Mind has become so valuable for my ability to maximize work productivity while still showing up for my family with the emotional presence they deserve. If you haven't heard James Schmachtenberger's podcast, it's number 235. We'll link to it in the show notes. It is well worth your time. He created the Neurohacker Collective Science Team to value a more holistic view of human physiology and put overall health support for the human brain ahead of any short-sighted effect. It's a lot harder to formulate nutritional products that way, which is why I want to give a product like Qualia Mind the support I can, because it has to be experienced to be appreciated. 
Try Qualia Mind. Go to neurohacker.com where a month's supply of Qualia Mind is currently up to 50% off. I'll say that again. Currently under 50% off and enter code KKP at checkout for an additional 15% off. Definitely don't want to miss this one. I absolutely love these guys. Love James and his brother Daniel, and uh, they're incredible. Check it all out, neurohacker.com. We're also brought to you by something that, it's funny how many different ways I have uses for this. Every time I see paleovalley.com on the docket, I always think like, well, how have I used it lately? And, you know, having Chad Johnson on the show today, we have been absolutely grinding. Um, sun up to sundown for a lot of people is, you know, no big deal. A lot of people work nights, but uh, and sun up to sundown on a farm certainly is par for the course. But for me to take an hour off the podcast or to uh, jump on a client call and to do all these other things while juggling having our house built and juggling putting all this together and actually busting my ass here on the farm, uh, it's been it's been quite comical. We have not been able to make meals a lot of the time, and we're we're just really grinding through it. And guess what? Paleo Valley to the rescue again. I have eaten. I need to restock, y'all. If you're listening to this, I've eaten every single organic food bar that we have. The lemon has blown me away. Cold. If it's cold in the morning, like it is here in Lockhart right now, what you do is you slide one of those guys into your pants pocket and you let your body heat warm it up. Then you eat it and it's, there's nothing like it. It's phenomenal. Now, really, I'm here to tell you guys about the Paleo Valley beef sticks and no bullshit. I've got two right now. My favorite flavor, jalapeno sitting in my pocket warming up. Their beef sticks are hundred percent grass fed and, and grass finished. Many on the market claim grass fed, but they're actually finished on grains. They source beef from small domestic farms in the U S They use real organic spices to flavor their beef sticks versus conventional spices sprayed with pesticides or natural flavors, often made from GMO corn. They ferment their sticks, which creates naturally occurring probiotics, which are great for gut health. This is a huge differentiator from what you find in beef jerky and beef sticks on the market. They're typically really dry and they don't have probiotics because they're not fermented. And that takes its toll on the gut. You have to rehydrate that then with the fluids that are in your gut. And that's not the place you want to do it. So, you know, by eating a moist and delicious and probiotic rich beef stick, that's only of the highest ingredients as higher in omega-3 fatty acids, fat soluble vitamins and minerals, glutathione, which is nature's most abundant and powerful antioxidant, CLA, conjugated linoleic acid, which is the bodybuilder's fat that burns fat, bioavailable protein, they're keto friendly, and they're a great protein rich snack to grab on the go on the farm in the airplane, you name it. These guys have the best. They refuse to cut corners. They prioritize health over profit. They use conscientious processing and manufacturing, and they source only the highest quality ingredients available. And you can taste it. I promise you. Um, I like the right amount of spice. I don't like getting my ass kicked. Some people like to be hot shots when they go to the spice, but this jalapeno stick is the perfect amount of spice. And, uh, I just, I mean, I've been blasting through these as well. So I'm going to have probably the biggest order right after I get off doing uh, <laughs> this intro for the podcast. Paleovalley.com, discount code Kyle for 15% off. That's P-A-L-E-O-V-A-L-L-E-Y.com, discount code K-Y-L-E for 15% off everything in the store. And definitely try their organic food bars. They're insanely good. Oh, and look at this perfect timing. This podcast is also brought to you by Super Speciosa. Super Speciosa is where I source and buy the greatest Kratom ever created. 
And truly, this has been one of my favorite companies to come along because they have a strain called Super Speciosa, which is a league. It's in a league of its own. It's far different from any of the other strains. I love taking the red Bali, uh, red Mangda. A lot of the red ones feel more body. So when I'm, you know, I can have a euphoric effect in my body, but it doesn't take away my ability to think or get things done mentally. And there's phenomenal pre-workout, but the Super Speciosa is one where it is quite euphoric. It is quite lovely. I had um, gum surgery yesterday, so my voice might sound a little different. And I'm not taking pain meds. I'm taking Super Speciosa. I'm taking the Super Speciosa strain, and I feel fantastic. This stuff is absolutely incredible. For beginners, um, I recommend their signature strain, the Super Speciosa. It's their most popular, best-selling item. There's a 100% satisfaction or your money-back guarantee. To try Kratom and get 20% off your entire order, go to getsuperleaf.com slash KKP. That's getsuperleaf.com slash KKP, and then use promo code KKP for 20% off your entire order. That's right. Getsuperleaf.com slash KKP, promo code KKP, 20% Whopper coming off the whole thing. Uh, I absolutely love this stuff because uh, this is... It's an absolute game changer. Kratom is a plant medicine, plain and simple. Uh, the FDA is trying to finagle and do some shit to get rid of it as they do with anything that works and is natural. Uh, <laughs> ivermectin, uh, which is, is not even natural. You know, we're just talking like pharmaceuticals. If they've lost the, the patent and it's $10 to fill your prescription, they're not talking about that, right? Um, Kratom is, is, you know, truly a, a beneficial an amazing plant medicine that can help you grind through the day. It enhances life in all directions. Uh, you can magnify your runners high on a run, magnify the pump that you have in the gym, magnify the orgasm, uh, enhance sleep. It's just one of a kind. Check it all out at getsuperleaf.com slash KKP. Last but not least, my brother Drew Canoli's company, Organifi. Organifi, I've, I've, I'm always thinking of new ways how to implement Organifi into my diet and with what I'm working with. And um, you know what was great is when I did the full temple reset where we had the five-day fasting mimicking diet, we had a few vegans. And now my my shake that I was giving everybody was 100% organic, but I was using bone broth as well as um, one egg yolk. So we had to substitute that. And what we did is we used the Organifi vegan vanilla protein and I tried some of that and it tastes absolutely phenomenal. I was like, damn, this tastes better than what I was making. Uh, it is incredible. Everything that I've, that I've tried from their company is something where I'm just like scratching my head like, damn, there's no, there's no misses here. Every, every ingredient they select and the combinations that they put them in has a profound effect. I take the greens as a general overall health benefit. I've mixed it with super speciosa, but even just in and of itself, I, I mix that up for the kids. It's the easiest way to get them to have probiotics and ashwagandha, moringa, and these other superfoods that they're not normally going to eat. You know, Bear's almost seven years old and he still has trouble swallowing a probiotic pill. But, um, you know, when I make these up, I can throw the pill into my Organifi greens and they will drink it. And it's absolutely phenomenal. The red is so good as a pre-workout, intra-workout. It's got cordyceps synesis that helps the mitochondria fire harder and give your body more energy. And of course, there's more mitochondria in the heart as well as the brain. So that's more cognitive energy as well. When I finish my workout, I don't want a flat line. I've normally got shit to do. I got to head home. I got to see the kids. I need to be sharp. 
Organifi Red gives me the energy to do that, power through the workout and still have all the energy I need to love my family, to wrestle, to have fun, to go run at the park. That's all there because of Organifi Red. These guys are awesome. Everything tastes delicious, I promise you. And then, you know, my favorite, the nightcap, Organifi Gold with a whopper of whole fat coconut cream. It's vegan. It's loaded with turmeric, uh, if you're into the vegan thing, but it's loaded with turmeric and, um, you know, highly anti-inflammatory. And it has a whopper of lemon balm, which really is the nightcap. That's the thing that will help me shift gears from, I've been busting my ass all day on the farm. I've knocked out a podcast or two while I'm doing that. And I'm handling all this other stuff. And when I get home, I still need to be present. And I still need to be able to table everything that I just did all day long and not worry about it. As Dumbledore, you know, would, would pull memories out of his head and put them into the pensive. That's journaling, right? I'll, I'll jot down some stuff and just move it so I don't have to, you know, keep going over and over and over again, playing it back and have a little conscious shift with the Organifi Gold. And all of a sudden I'm in perfect mood. I'm completely present and my kids get the very best of me. Check it all out, Organifi.com slash KKP. You get 20% off everything there. Organifi, that's O-R-G-A-N-I-F-I.com slash KKP. KKP at checkout. Don't forget that. And that's it for today, y'all. My man, Chad Johnson, this will be the first of many, I promise you, the first of many podcasts with Chad. And give me your feedback on this. This was kind of a broad approach. Every time I have somebody on for the first time, I want to know their backstory. I want to know like what drove them to become the person that they are today. And then in consequent or uh, in, in podcasts coming up, I want to be able to dive in a little deeper into the nitty gritty of backyard. Like what do I do on, on a 10th of an acre? Those kind of things. What if, what do I do if I can't get access to an excavator? Um, what if I have five friends that all have different farms and we rent an excavator, uh, we split the cost of renting an excavator for a month, each of us gets it for a week, what can we accomplish? Those kind of things start to make the conversation a little bit more real. And, um, you know, or maybe you make friends with a guy who's got an excavator and there's some type of cool trade you can do like, hey, dude, I'll help you lose 20 pounds and feel better, lower systemic inflammation, heal an injury. I know a lot of us are health and wellness professionals that listen to this podcast. There are ways to get it done. But please give me your feedback. What do you want more of from Chad? especially after you read these books we're going to recommend. In the show notes, you'll find Sepp Holzer's Permaculture, Sepp Holzer's Desert or Paradise, Richard Perkins' Regenerative Agriculture book. This is a textbook. It's 90 bucks. It's a textbook. And it, it covers everything from Sepp Holzer's work. He has a whole chapter on key line plowing, all the way to how to make a small farm profitable and workable. And then, of course, um, the fourth book would be Rudolf Steiner's agriculture book. That is uh, one you can't miss. All right, check it out. Let me know what you think. At Instagram, at Living with the Kingsburys, you must get it all right, or else you can't tag us. You can't do anything. You can DM me there, or preferably sign up on Zion, and it's just Kyle Kingsbury Community. Much love to you guys. Let me know what you're doing. Let me know what you think of it. Adios. There we go. We're rocking and rolling. Chad Johnson. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Kyle Kinsbury. <laughs> um, we've been we've been out here at the farm, trying to figure out what to call it for the longest time. the The ranch, the farm, and Ob's got a uh, Spirit Ranch is the name of the destination in Sedona. 
So he's like, no, that's the ranch. This can't be the ranch. I'm like, ah, it's, it is a ranch though. And, um, now it's, now it's actually becoming a farm. We've been watching this actually start to come to life. I got introduced to you. I'll, t- I'll actually tell that story. It was with my boy, Cal at his 50th birthday party. He's been on the podcast. We just had his incredible wife, Peyton Callahan on. If you haven't listened to it, listen to it. It's incredible. And, um, she, they're both incredible. And, uh, I had a couple different, I've been talking a lot about like synchronicity and, and what I like to call the God nod. And I had a couple of those moments where people were talking to me about, um, food forest abundance and Jim Gale and just really, you know, in the conversation of sovereignty and health. Cause if you look at, <laughs> you look at the major systems that have exposed their cracks in the last couple of years, we've got education, uh, health and wellness, government and law. Um, finance, you know, a lot of these things have reared their heads. And um, what's cool about the food piece is that it, you know, literally covers such a large percentage of health and wellness. And it also covers a large percentage of your own personal sovereignty and Maslow's hierarchy of needs. And so, you know, when I, when I started diving into this and I've been, I've been diving into, you know, at least knowing my farmers, those kind of things for some time, probably since how to eat move and be healthy by Paul check and the documentary food Inc and, and all that good shit. But, uh, you know, when they were telling me about Jim, it was like, Oh, okay, cool. I got to know this guy. And then Jim, I uh, had a great conversation with him and he introduced me to you. He said like, this is the guy, this is the guy, you know, anything that's 10 acres or more, this is my guy. And this is the guy that the Jim goes to when he wants to, you know, do work on his land. And that was like, Oh fuck. Yeah. Chad's the dude. And we had you out here for three days to kind of sit and listen to the land and really tune into it and see what it was asking for. And I had to spend a good amount of time with you then and really dive into your brilliance on like how you, how you actually do that, but what your background is, how you dove into that. So I would love for you to break down, you know, what was life like growing up? What, what kind of drove you towards the field that you're in? Yeah, definitely. Um, and just to uh, backtrack on what you said, when you think of a word like ranch or like farm, or like farmer, suddenly you're putting yourself into that verbiage. So being able to reimagine what it is, because we kind of are reimagining our world, um, and what's possible is usually beyond what people can imagine until you've actually walked through a space or seen it. And it's something to see a picture of it. It's another to experience walking through it or eating from it because uh, nature has a certain momentum when you tap into it kind of unfolds for you but for me uh, when I was a kid I you know loved nature like a lot of kids I think it's just in us uh, grew up in northern Minnesota kind of Bob Dylan's old stomping grounds surrounded by lakes just beautiful nature swamps as kids we were you know running through the lakes, the swamps, just barefoot, having fun. Um, and had some garden exposure as a kid with my mom. And then you try to find your way in the world and you, you try to fit into the box. And now I'm like, think outside the box, live outside the box. And so I thought, okay, I'll be an engineer and I'll go do this in life, you know, and I'll retire early. And you kind of have this mindset where, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and there's, there's the destination. Uh, 
And then I realized that the journey sucked, you know, uh, the journey that I had kind of fit into the box. And so I got my engineering degree, became a wildland firefighter, was kind of like, okay, engineering is not for me. I did it for five years and it was just kind of, kind of robbing my spirit really. And so I just spun my compass and headed out, not knowing where I was going and ended up in the redwoods half a mile from the ocean uh, a week before 9-11. And so I was with a great group of people just connected by trails. We'd all come down and have food. Uh, people would bring a guitar, a bottle of wine. There'd be people chopping up food, beautiful fire. And then when 9-11 happened, it was pretty somber. So we come together and all of a sudden everyone's sitting there. It's like, well, who knows what's going to happen? So suddenly the timeline of what's going to happen in the world for a lot of people was like, well, this might be a time to rewrite what we're going to do. And so it's like, let's make more gardens, more greenhouses. So I opened up the soil and whatever came out was a massive spiritual experience. I kind of found a little place in the redwoods that opened up. I was like, this is it. I opened up the soil to start my little garden and whatever rushed in uh, is kind of still with me today. It's, it's, it, when you told me that story, it, it sounds like if there was a snortable psilocybin mushroom, <laughs> like that's what, this thing just shot its spores right into your nose and you get the, you know, the God, the full on God level download and, and vision. Um, I love hearing any type of altered state of consciousness. That's not run of the mill. Not that, psilocybin's run of the mill or ayahuasca or any of those things, but they're even, you know, amongst my listeners who I imagine more, for sure more than half have participated in some type of ceremony like that. Um, there's still a lot of people listening to this right now that haven't. And I just love the idea of like the, the vision quest, no food, no water, altered state of consciousness, visionary, uh, the type of breath work that Lucas and Hella do that we put on at fit for service. It is a fucking ceremony. And it is quite visionary, you know, and there's, there's just many, many paths that lead us up the mountain, but I'd never heard of <laughs> cracking soil and just holy shit going for the ride. Right. Talk about, talk about that experience, like that connection point, what came through for you? Yeah. And me neither. I, I didn't see it coming. Um, and I believe a lot of the physical coming in from spirit, you know, whether it's from Gaia or this creation, this is a gift. And at times I think we become inoculated. You know, there's certain points in our life that are just pivotal. Um, And there are studies out there that say, oh, there's this bacteria in the soil that can give you an experience. Um, Actually helps with a lot of people that are having certain conditions and they've, they've limited it down to a bacteria, but I think there's a bigger breath in there that comes out. Um, And when you learn to work with this gift, this creation, whether you're thinking God or creator, this creation is a gift to us. And it's a challenge. You know, you can see the things in the world that are going on. You make up a story in your head, but then when you go back to the source, nature being the source of all, you could say wealth, depending on how you define wealth, you know, what is your quality of life? you can suddenly rewrite it because you're starting from ground level, you know, and when you do something in nature that's positive, it responds positively in that direction. When you do something negatively in nature, it'll show you that response in a negative direction. Um, And I think it's a very, not only untapped, 
and you can look at ancient civilizations and how they tapped into it. But we're definitely in a new time, a new era. Um, like we've been talking, the end of the Kali Yuga. Yeah. You can feel as a change. And whether we've gone through these cycles, we're definitely at a new point in history, whether you look at population, technological, or people right now in this time, kind of around the earth or across the earth, kind of all picking up on it and in communication. Um, so that definitely has a momentum in it. I didn't see my change and I didn't see the world changing so fast with all this. I was happy to be on my farm, did not see myself leaving, glad to be, you know, keep creating in nature, wild harvesting and watching it ripple out from there. Yeah, let's let's backtrack. I mean, you you so from this point where you get really the the deep connection with source creator and um you know, you're out in the redwoods at what point did you decide, like, I mean, you are kind of already, you know, hands in the soil, get dirty, doing the thing. At what point did you really say, like, this is going to be the thing that I invest everything I, I am and everything I know into? At which point do you say, and how do you find Sepp Holzer for that matter? Yeah. Um, yeah, that ties together well because so that first impulse uh, didn't stop and it was just a, a gradual hands in the earth and digging my own pond, digging my own terraces and sculpting my own earth and what I call dreaming seed farm. And just digging my first pond right away, the frogs, the turtles, there was no nearby water. And suddenly within the first day, they were already coming. And actually when I dug the first waterway and I was spraying it down and water was coming in, uh, I looked up and there was a, a rainbow above me, like a sun dog, but the sun wasn't up there. And up on the hill was this massive bell that had been gifted from Japan. And suddenly, right when I look up and see that rainbow, someone's way up on the hill with this giant timber that's the gong. And it was just like, I'm like, I'm like, whoa, this is pretty intense. And all of a sudden, bagpipes light up. So someone's up there with bagpipes right after they're doing the gong into this thing. So someone was getting married up by what's called Anger Tower. And here I am having this water moment with this first pond. <laughs> and this sun dog, maybe it was the water droplets, but um, that just kind of rippled out into that pond, the terraces, I was uh, taking out the considered invasive buckthorn and weaving a, a goat barn roof and doing qigong in my garden. Um, and the guy that brought this five simple movement healing qigong uh, just started transforming my life, taking me out of uh, 15, 20 years of pain from this head-on collision. Um, and then I just, it started to come in. I was like, wow, this garden's really feeding my qigong and my soul. Qigong is healing me. I was going through some amazing moments there. Within two weeks, a lot of the pain I'd been feeling, like all up to my spine was just gone. And I was having more uh, spiritual experiences. Um, and then at one point I was in there and I felt like I was like going to be called to something. And I was... Uh, creating a huge puppet 
with this guy, Father Earth, and uh, he said, hey, do you know Sepp Holzer? And I was like, no. He said, well, he's having his first U.S. installation coming up, and you should go to it. It's like, really? So I got the book, and I've had different experiences with a few books in my life, and I, I read the first page, and I just kind of closed it and looked at it. And I was like, oh, wow, this is, this is going to be something here. Something's going on. This is just like writing on my soul. Here's something. And so I went out in 2012 to work on Sepulcher's first installation. We worked for 12 days. Suddenly, everything I'd been hand doing with the shovel, he comes in with an excavator, the big shovel, you know, and all of a sudden, the way he was reading, listening, and working with nature just clicked heavy for me. And at the end, he had us all present our designs. He'd seen us work for 12 days. I was the last one to present. And he said, this is your new designer. I was looking at him like, what? You mean so this color crayon drawing I had really resonated with them. And so we went out. And he took me and another guy aside to work with him. Everybody else went with his students and were planting the grapevines around this central pond. And he's talking about nature and going through all of these uh, things that he's seen in his life and what's going on with the world. And I was like, what's going on here? What is he talking about? Why does he have us separated from everybody? And why is he talking about all this stuff? I was like, I'm loving it, but why is he doing this? And, uh, a farm, the only farm I'd ever seen. I left the Redwoods thinking, okay, there's no beauty like this. I go back to Minnesota. The massive trees look like shrubs. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, well, I, I had to spin my compass from feeling like this intense beauty in the Redwoods to being like, okay, I have to leave the beauty, go back to friends and family and reconnect. And I thought, I'll never find a piece of land that I'm going to fall in love with just after seeing that amazing, dramatic beauty. Well, this lady says, um, I think I found a farm that you would love. And someone the week before said, boy, you've kind of filled in your entire dreaming seed farm here. You know, I think you need a bigger palette. You need a bigger place to work. And at first I was kind of offended. I was like, what do you mean? I've been putting my heart and soul into this. I could never leave this. And I'm driving to the spring. And I thought, oh, I'll just take this little backside road. It's kind of hard to find. It's in the corner of the Spirit Mountain Park. And I look over and I'm just like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. Just, just a gorgeous area. And so automatically I look down the driveway and here's the, this old lady, the owner, sitting on her steps. Had never seen her there before or after. And so I instinctively pull in and I walk out. And she's like what did you want? And I said, someone said this farm might be for sale. And she says, what do you want to do with it? And I said, I want to turn it into paradise. And she said, it's already paradise. And I said, I want to make it an edible medicinal paradise. And come to find out, I had relayed a, a healer's information to the lady that turned me on to that location who had taken the pain away from that lady who owned that farm. And so she's like, why don't you come in and we'll talk for a while. That farm had fallen through, worked on it for a year and a half. And I, I walked off the field with tears in my eyes. Six months later, I'm with Sepp 
And I'm talking about this farm, that the only farm I wanted to buy that I lost. And step students are like, this is on the last day. Well, you know, a lot of the, uh, the places that people want when they're working with SEP start to come to them. Well, halfway through the day after lunch, this lady gives me a call and says, I'm ready to sell you the farm. And <laughs> now it's half price. So I go back and it's like that fell into place. And right away I, I picked a few people to come help me do a five-day installation uh, to set, set the original ecosystem, hold the water, create abundance uh, naturally. And from there, it, it turned into Holzer Agroecology, uh, flying around with a SEP, creating these models, finding out not everything is in his books, and just being able to work really close with the guy and, uh, and some really mind-blowing things that he's done on his farm or he's dreamt and imagined on other pieces of land. And that dreaming time uh, and the reshaping of what you can see as possible to landscape really set in. And I was like, oh, I get it. It's, it's not difficult. It's just not practiced. And so after being on my farm for seven years, thinking I wasn't going to leave, I was struck with everything going on in the world um, that a vision of creating practitioners and more landscapes like this, it's the time. Um, and I was super excited. I was like, oh, wow. I think I'm going to be stepping off my farm. And there was a certain place in the garden I was walking to, and it happens where all these, a lot of inspiration happens, came through. And uh, it was probably two, three weeks later, Jim Gale calls and said, hey, some guy was telling me about you. And after a couple of conversations, he's like, I want to make you my lead designer. I've got these other places. Um, he called me in like half hour before this meeting with Adrian Grenier's farm, Kintsugi. And from there, everything is just, it's almost like it's been free flowing. I was just maybe the time I needed this incubation time on the farm. Uh, deeper secrets in nature. I was like, oh yeah, that's obvious. Um, so things I was able to build off of SEP's work and then just incubate on my farm just started opening up more and more. And uh, yeah, that positive response from nature had birds and animals planting out the uh, sacred Native American hoop gardens that I wanted to reestablish uh, were just positive signs. And uh, yeah, now I'm ready to uh, share it with the world, <laughs> create practitioners. Um, and one note on that, like I didn't see, I saw myself replanting those sacred Native American hoop gardens, me out there planting the seeds and everything. But the birds and animals are planting out way faster than I ever could. Um, a lot of them are born or returned to the garden every year. And uh, it's like a nexus point. And I kind of see Austin as that nexus point. Um, it's funny, earlier you said as kind of the belly button of North America. Yesterday I was just saying, yeah, I see Austin as uh, the belly button of Texas. But I guess you can you can go up a little higher and see that, uh, yeah, the, the continent here. Yeah, center of the continent. There's, um, 
I want to dive into a few things, but I, I was just, it, it was resonant as the, the hermit archetype is what you were experiencing. You know, like the, the, I just had a long conversation with Paul check about that, how the, the hermit really, you know, it doesn't always live in the cave or on top of a mountain, but you know, once there's a certain level of understanding, the hermit retreats either up the mountain or in the darkness. And in that, the alchemy takes place. And as the alchemy takes place, the light of consciousness, which is being held in the the lantern in his hands, once that light becomes so bright, he must descend back down to the mountain to share that light. And then when he's gathered enough, he'll go back, you know, and and I think about that, you know, your time with with Sep was, uh, you were grabbing so much, then you had to alchemize that. You had to make your own you know, for seven years. And then, you know, the last two years takes place and you know, that fucking lantern starts to get pretty heavy and now you got to go back out and share it. Right. <laughs> um, there's so much that I want, I mean, I've just barely started to dive into uh, a couple of Sep's books, Sep Holter's Permaculture and Desert of Paradise. Uh, we'll link to both those in the show notes. The Desert of Paradise book I found, I found comical because I think it's out of print and the Kindle is like 23 bucks. And I was like, how much is paperback? It's like 140 years. They're like, holy shit. Uh, so thank you for bringing me a copy. But, you know, just dive in, into some of his concepts really blew me away. I think um, I was reading on the back of the book that, you know, one of the things he was known for is he was one of the first people in regenerative agriculture or permaculture to say, you can't fix what we've done to the earth with a spade. You know, so he was one of the guys that, that kind of went against the grain and you know, the organic farming movement by saying like, yeah, use modern tech, use the best of both worlds to heal the land, to bring uh, water where, where there is no water. And I think you were telling me that he was practicing in the Saharan desert or one of the deserts as like <laughs> creating these little oases just so he could say, if you can do it here, you can do it anywhere in the world. And that blows my mind to think of it like that. Like, yeah, if you can do it there, you can't do it anywhere. It's kind of like the earth ships doing it town, Mexico, where there's six inches of rain in a single season and just recycling the water and using every little ounce of it they gain. Um, That's the best of human ingenuity. And it's really saying like, ultimately, if you decentralize everything, the responsibility falls into our arms and our community's arms and our, our regional, local, local. Uh, areas to be able to produce everything that we need. And with that, that takes on like a whole new level of our own productivity and, and who's around us and what they're doing. And so I love this, this idea because it takes all that out of the equation. You know, I mean, when Joel Salatine was on Rogan's and he said, you know, within 80 years, if we don't have one in 10 people become regenerative farmers, it's going to look like interstellar where we got one giant fucking dust bowl we're down to cooking, you know, make uh, growing one type of corn <laughs> from chemical fertilizers and nothing else exists. That is a real possibility. And it's not the future that I'm going to live in. And so there's been my draw to get hands in the game. But with Sep's work, he really proved the point that you can do this anywhere. So break down kind of what that, you know, what were some of his main philosophies in using excavators and, and water and uh, clay forms and you know, Indian hoops and things like that, that really change the game for people. Because a lot of people are probably saying like, yeah, that's, it's kind of like the same, the reason I was drawn to you, one of the major reasons was you're a permaculture expert, but you're from Northern Minnesota. 
And a lot of people spend six months in Costa Rica or Kauai and they're like, you know, you fart a seed on the ground and the next year it's a fucking banana tree. <laughs> you, you have to deal with real frost. You have to deal with harsh weather climate. And, um, you know, even though there's plenty of water, it's not the Garden of Eden, right? Unless you make it so. So break down kind of some of the principles that set used to change the game, say, from a guy like Alan Savory or someone else. Yeah, he definitely broke the mold on not just what's possible with nature, but he kind of put people on their heels in the permaculture world of how to go about it and how to read it, um, listen to it. And when he took over his family's farm, the two older brothers decided not to take over the farm. So now he was at five years old, literally hand digging his first fish pond and from there he didn't stop he was a mile up in the alps surrounded by what he calls a spruce desert he's in austria right a mile up in the alps in austria right and when the lawyer signed over the papers told his dad well you know now that this farm is his and he can do whatever he wants with the farms with the funds and so he was riding his motorcycle with his dad, just these things going through his imagination of what he wants to do. And they went to the pub and they got something to eat and had a pint. And he's just sitting here, just like exploding imagination at 18. And the next day calls the excavator in the land and starts creating terraces and ponds. And now there's over 70 on the Kramerhof. Uh, things are receding. Nature's responding like abundantly. And so sometimes you have to walk through food to get from point A to point B because lettuce and blueberries and everything else is reseeding out. Um, and a lot of people in the permaculture world is like, God, that's, that's a destructive way to go about it. That's, uh, when I talked to Darren Doherty 10 years ago, he said, yeah, that's like taking a scalpel to the land. Well, when the response is abundance, you know, you, there can be invasive food. <laughs> if you want to think of it that way. Um, but now a lot of people are seeing, oh, yeah, start with shaping the earth and holding the water. Uh, there's more to it. You know, you're balancing wind. You're looking at heat. You're looking at the basic elements of nature. Um, so you're using earthworks to hold the water, balance water, balance wind. And you're looking at the sun and orientation for heat whether it's south or north side. And a lot of these places around the world that are desertifying can actually be reversed quickly within a year and you recharge the aquifer and you recharge the landscape. And when you use those earthworks, you're actually bringing air into the soil. Like you think of the deep French double dug beds, but you're now you're doing it on a whole nother level. You're bringing in the air you're bringing in the water. And when those fresh earthworks are done, the earth now has that air and water. So things are going to ramp up. Um, and you also start to get uh, perfect drainage where on a flat piece of ground, you wouldn't have it. So if you want to do an experiment out in the sun, put your hand flat down and feel the sun and now angle your hand towards the sun like a terrace would be. 70 degrees is a nice 
angle, and now you can feel that heat. You've got perfect drainage, and now you think of those earth forms in the whole landscape as the water storage organ of the earth. And then you're now you're getting that that perfect uh, remineralization of the water, and that water you think of the earth forms as a sponge to regulate it. So if it needs the water, it holds on to it, and it can also release it. Um, it starts to balance that water, and you've created your waterways. Um, and you can. You can do it in the desert. You just need to hit an impermeable layer or create an impermeable layer. So sometimes you're looking for pinch points. Sometimes you're, um, you're just seeing what are the advantages or possibilities of this landscape. And also knowing what is possible, because a lot of times it's beyond what you can imagine. It's certainly beyond conventional, right? Very much so, yeah. Um, I think a lot of the ancient cultures had tapped into it, but they probably didn't have excavators. So it took generations to build. We can now do in days. Um, Big difference. Um, I call it like a forward escape for our culture. You can think of these things as destructive but now you just reimagine them and now they can be used as a positive influence on the landscape. Yeah. I think the main, the main piece there is that, you know, we saw what modern agriculture did, right. And the people said, okay, no tilling, uh, don't fuck with the soil that releases carbon into the atmosphere and methane and all this other stuff. And that, that's a problem, right? Because then you lose organic material. And if you do that enough, you create a desert desertified soil, which then you, is, can expose you to landslides fires, everything we see in California and a lot of different places on the earth are because it lost its sponginess. It lost its aliveness. And so where people might just automatically, you know, throw any modern technology, uh, you know, out like the baby with the bathwater. Um, what he was saying is, you know, create the earthworks and then you don't till, you know, <laughs> like fucking shape it the way you want it to hold water, to hold your trees and with regard to earth, water, air, and fire and sun, you know, and then from there, then you don't need to touch it, you know, and that's a, that's a pretty big difference from where most people are saying like, oh no, we just scatter seeds and see what takes and yeah, cool if you're in Hawaii, but it's a little different, you know, to, to, to backtrack and, and to reverse engineer kind of what's gone on. I remember talking to uh, Taylor and the guys at Rome Ranch and, um, you know, their company, Force of Nature, they've got the regenerative uh, bison farm out in Fredericksburg, about an hour and a half west of Austin. And they're fantastic dudes. And they had a soil expert come out. They had paid to come out and view their 1,500-acre property, take soil samples, and really tell them what to expect. And uh, she had said that generally it takes, you know, in, in an in a untouched forest, like where Paul Stamets would mushroom hunt, you've got 8% organic material. That's, that's, that's in its perfection, 8%. In most places that have been European tilled and monocropped are down to 0.5%. And so they kind of mapped out all over their property and, you know, they were, they were fairly low within three, she said it would take 10 years to raise 1% organic material. And just as you said, when you put it into nature, the response is much, much, much faster than we ever could have imagined. And so within three years of having that property, they're already up an average of 3%. So it's 10x faster than what they thought it would be. You know, and their average is between 3 and 4% organic material all over their 1,500 acres, thanks to the bison. 
when we did our soil analysis, we were already between two and a half to 3.8% organic material. So we're actually starting from a really good place here. And, um, you know, that to me is no coincidence. It's like, fuck yeah, the land knows what we're going to do. We're going to find the right land and make that work. But the beauty of that, those ideas is that you literally can do it anywhere. You know, we certainly have, uh, you talked about, there's another God nod when you showed me the Google earth and you were talking about what soil type we have here, how this little fingertip of this special clay that goes through here. And it's not five minutes West. It's not five minutes East. It's just right here, you know, and how good that is for water retention and, and, and what we're trying to accomplish. But the, you know, the, the sponginess of it, the aliveness of it, that's what we want. And I've read the soil. I think um, Ben Greenfield had the author of the soil will save us on a couple years back. And I bought that book immediately and I was just blown away. I was like, wow, you know, when the earth is rocking and rolling and you've got the microbiome of the earth intact, it can store carbon for 500 years. It can sequester carbon and it, and it ends up being, you know, the, the currency of, of all the plants and it's shared throughout the plant kingdom via the fungi and this whole thing's a fucking living web. It's like, it's like, uh, an avatar, you know, like it is alive. It's not kind of, it is alive and it is a working ecosystem above ground and below ground. And, um, that's been a driving factor for me because the more, the more in touch I get with spirit and the way, like, what is the operating system of consciousness? You know, and people hear, um, you know, as above, so below, as within, so without, that actually is a key code. It's one of the seven laws of the universe. You read the Kabbalion, it's in there. Matthias de Stefano says the same thing, you know, on, on initiation and Gaia TV. No matter where you're at in consciousness, whether you've ascended to a light body or whether you're a fucking microbe, it's always as above, so below. That always matters. And um, one of the key understandings of how to work with that, because if you get it, it's like, cool, does that mean there's some, you know, like we're a cell inside some giant celestial body? Maybe, like they show at the end of Men in Black. But how you work with that is anything I do to the land will respond in kind. If I heal the land, the land can heal me through its food, through its messaging, through its direction, through the listening, through all those things. That's, that's just how it works. And as I heal myself, that healing then reverberates outside of me. I change my vibrational field and everyone I interact with touches that. That's what people said about Ramdas. You just sit in front of Ramdas before he passed away and one look from him would change how you felt, how you understood yourself, like your, your whole resonance would shift in the presence of somebody like that. And um, I think that's awesome because whether we're working on ourselves or working on our little garden, it has a big impact on that sacred hoop, you know, that just spirals around back and forth, back and forth, feeding into one another and playing off one another. Yeah. And just to backtrack on the buffalo there's a special enzyme in their mouth and the way they feed. So you think of that connecting that loop through them is a huge response. And also like, yeah, I heard that nature's growth of 6%, we can actually catalyze and increase that. And at the same time, like you said, heal or transform the land is healing and transforming us. Medicine for the land is medicine for the people um, is is no joke. Um, so when you're creating these places or spaces or growth, the holding the water becomes an even greater carbon sequestration, not just from what you're growing there, but because of unseen things 
that are formative forces that start to transform it. Um, and I've had people walk through my gardens um, that just go to tears. It just has a healing effect on them. And maybe they haven't connected with that since they were a child. Um, but when you walk through one, you can definitely feel it. Like, yeah, that's palpable, the resonance. You know, whether you whether you you think you've understand energy or you've experienced it or not, like you don't have to be able to read auras. Everyone under, you know, I've said this a million times as an analogy, but if you're in a room at a party and somebody walks in who's fucking way off kilter, you're going to notice it like, hey, what's what's wrong with Greg or what's up with that guy? You know, like you, you just notice something like, eh, something's a little different about that person. And And on the opposite spectrum... You meet somebody new and you're like, I don't know what it is about that person, but I just want to fucking be around them. Like, they're like magnetic. They fucking got it. I just want to learn everything about them. You know, like, I just feel better having spent time with them, even if we're just watching football or fucking fighting. You know, like, the, that's a palpable feeling, too. And you magnify that to a land and, and it, 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 it truly does create a response. Like, when, you're, when we were, I'm wearing Don Howard's shirt right now, when we we're in the Amazon, he has an earth day, an air day, and a water day. On the water day, we're swimming in the Amazon, you know, in Mother Nature's vulva, <laughs> practically. Like, we're, we're right there. And um, obviously, the medicine is a good medicine, but it's a very gentle, almost like a microdose medicine for me. But in that water, like, the resonance of the land was the thing. Like, that's what I was connecting to. And, and because we'd had the Wachuma, like, my ability to sense and detect that was amplified. But there can be no doubt that's a different experience than me drinking Wachuma in my backyard. It's a fucking whole different experience because we're in mother nature's womb. And so the more places we can, we can create like that. That's the feel, right? That's the, and the, and the more, the more people we create that are that magnetic, loving, kind and compassionate person. That's the feel. But, um, you know, I had Will Tegel on the podcast. He wrote the book walking with bears and the mother tongue and six others. And he's a fantastic dude. Great podcast. Um, he talked about and one of the things he wrote a thesis on was eco fields because, you know, as he was a, a, a PhD in psychology and a practicing Western psychologist, he started working with native Americans and indigenous cultures and really seeing like, what are the core differences between how we do it in Western medicine and how they did it. And one of the first things they talked about was like, how does someone, when they walk around in nature, how do, what do they look like? What's their gait? Can they receive downloads from a fucking willow tree? Like, how do they tune in to the field? And that shows them if they're severed or not. But when you see, you know, the, the you know, and I, and I was telling us before, before we got this land, I was complaining because I was like, man, I feel the strong need to be on a larger piece of property. And he said, you know, whether you're in an apartment or you've got 5,000 square feet like I do in a suburb, anything you do to enhance the land, you are creating your own eco field. And that eco field, reacts in a ripple effect with all the eco fields surrounding it to improve it. You know, we've got bird feeders in the back, bamboo. We put a bunch of fruit trees in, wachuma, which is legal to grow. And, uh, you know, those, those things have created its own resonance where even if I'm in my backyard and the neighbors mowing the lawn seemingly right in my ear hole, I feel a sense of peace being back there. You know, and, the, and now you can amplify that on a larger scale when you start talking about doing earthworks and tending the land of a bigger property for sure. And you can do it in your backyard. Um, you can take a, a tenth of an acre, even less, 
and start to create something where um, if you have a a terraced off bowl where you now create habitat for, you know, holding the water, the frogs, the birds, the dew come in. And what you've terraced out, you bring up to create your own little sanctuary. And so when you create that sanctuary, suddenly you don't see the neighbor's yard. Uh, and it's also a sound and visual buffer at the same time. And now there's that perfect drainage again. You can plant it out. You want to live outside the box. Uh, because it draws you in. You see it from the window and suddenly it's blooming uh, or you want to go out and eat. Um, it's it's almost like you're creating the habitat for yourself at the same time you're creating habitat for nature. So just like a duck knows to fly south, if you create the habitat, nature will fill it in. Um, we recently had a rare bird from Asia come in and we've had other plants come in my wife, who uh, works a lot with plants, medicines, wild harvesting, was like, boy, I'd really love to have vervain here. And winter is like, you know, five months long for us. So that's <laughs> the dream time. There's plenty of time to dream and imagine what you want to do so you're ready to go uh, when the first green comes up. And now here's vervain comes in. So uh, a lot of the birds and animals, even uh, spores have come in like... Um, parasol mushroom dropped in and they're massive beautiful edible mushrooms and now they're running around the farm and mushrooms are interesting in that they're closer in their makeup to human beings than to the plant world but they also connect that you know underground and the same neurons that are actually firing our brains are giving us the ideas impulses inspirations moods are the same neurons that are underground. They're just not confined by the skull. So suddenly you can see that as an underground intelligence, however you want to look at intelligence. But I feel like um, I was kind of called to my farm, just like this area, you know, has brought you in. Um, It's you create the habitat and I feel like people from across the world will suddenly be drawn here. And whether it's word of mouth or just destiny, providence, and suddenly, you know, it seems like this area is that way. And this is kind of a nexus here. Yeah, no doubt. No doubt it is. I mean, I spoke a little bit from Will Tegel's work on the energetics of an eco field, but, but break down, you know, your, one of your core philosophies that, broke the mold from kind of how I've been taught to protect organics, you know, was that like you, you, you have like these organic um, thorny brush fences and you don't, and you allow the birds to come in. It's kind of like, there's enough for everyone mentality, which is, you know, truly we must, we must find that in ourselves and find that in nature and find that in how we view source, that this is abundant, not from the scarcity mindset. And with that, then it actually becomes that. But um, I was thinking about that. You know, my, my mother-in-law, they have a, a little farm up in Kingman, and they're close to pretty damn off-grid, and they're awesome people. And they're got goats and pigs and chickens and bunnies. And um, they got a little, little, you know, a little garden, an outdoor garden, but they have everything covered and fenced off, and it's, like, super protected from anything. Because if you grow something in the desert, then, then everybody wants a piece of it, you know? But how you, you welcome that 
on your farm. You know, you welcome the bird to come in to eat a berry and then shit it out a mile away and create another blackberry bush. You know, like talk about that, the reseeding and that rippling effect that actually is in the 3D world that takes place. Yeah, you can, and you can imagine taking, whether it's in town or on a fallow farm, or even here, you can take what is a 2D field and suddenly it can be your imagination and you've reset what can be planted or imagined there. So there's a spectrum of things that you can bring in and everyone's goals, visions, every person's different and every piece of property is different. And so when you marry those two and you start to imagine, oh, I don't need a tractor, I don't need a fence, I don't need a compost regimen and I don't need the irrigation. Some places might be hotter where you're going to need irrigation to get things started. But once that momentum starts happening, then they like the climate extremes. Big drought, they've already absorbed the water into the earthworks. So they take off. If you're planting your thorny barrier, you can plant around the edges where your earthworks can bring it up 5, 10, 15 feet. And then you're planting a thorny barrier like it can be medicinal wild rose, it can be sea berry, all these amazing things that just all work in the same direction that allow birds, animals, insects I don't even recognize anymore come in to fill all that. And at the same time, it's giving back. So it's not like, oh, uh, we got this 2D field, we're going to plow it and plant it. Uh, you take a step back in the design, you're like, oh, these raspberries are running everywhere. I'm going to let them run. And now the birds just planted out another 10,000, 100,000, and it's going way out into the forest. And they're bringing in food and medicine. And that became one of the inspirations for, oh, these aren't just raspberries. This is a nursery. So then I, I came up with the word raspberries. So I got, <laughs> I got running raspberries. I'm planting my plum trees. And now that's a community that's supporting each other. And it's also protection in a different sense of the word. You look at the word conservation. It's almost like conservation kind of paralyzes you from working with the earth. No, we can't touch it. So if you see the earth is not in a great state, it's like, no, we need to protect this area. We can't do anything. Is like saying, oh, this person's having a heart attack. Don't touch them. <laughs> Don't help them. It's like, no. But... Um, you can bring it back to life quickly. Um, and I just set up this one in the Mojave Desert that's, they're getting seven inches of rain. They're doing amazing. Um, and so that holding the water builds the soil. You start to create hummus. Um, same when I visited the Earth ships maybe eight years ago. I was teaching them how to green up the backs of their Earth ships. I was like, you can green up not just the backs of the Earth ship, but this whole desert, and they're like, well, it's, it's saline. There's salt in the soils from this desertification, and now it can't receive the water. It can allow that growth. But when you start to build soil and hold the water, you actually start to create life, which then builds hummus, and that hummus can encapsulate those salts, and now that becomes an electrical benefit to that soil. So I looked around, and I saw where they're the ditches by the side of the road. I was like, pull that in, hold that. You get a water surge here. You just start to read the landscape. 
with the contours because that's where water is going to flow. And where water is flowing is your most lively soil. Um, and then I asked them, do you have anywhere that's got, um, you know, like brush, leaves, wood chips, any organic matter? And they said, yeah, there's a huge one down there. Everyone brings all their stuff there. Um, and I said, well, how much is it to bring it here? And it's like, it's free. I said, well, bring it all here. Even just lay it on the ground and it's going to be a mulch that holds the water and starts to receive it and create hummus. It'll be habitat for dew, for insects. It'll bring in the birds, bring in the animals, and you have this trophic cascade set into motion. Um, yeah, that was one of the things that really, I think, was one of the most beautiful uh, arcs to the, to, the, to the hero's journey in The Biggest Little Farm on Amazon Prime. We'll link to that. But it was the this idea that, you know, in seven years, and I forget the name of the, the expert they were working with who passed away during the film. Um, but he said, you know, give it seven years and it auto corrects like that. And it's self-regulating, self-balancing, you know, and, and, um, you know, like from the collection of snails to then the ducks eating the snails and pooping out their glorious fertilizer onto the land and chickens following the cows and the pig shit so they can dig through and eat the fly maggots, you know, and it's like, it might sound gross, but it's like, well, there's, there's the harmony and the unity of having the right, you know, the right animals with the right plants and um, how 89 barn owls showed up over the course of those seven years. And look at these, they are as majestic as it gets aside from seeing a dragon or a unicorn in real life. The white barn owl is up there. I mean, it's something out of Harry Potter. Like it is as legit and glorious as it gets for creation. And to see 89 of them come in and the harmony that gets created there within seven years is pretty, pretty remarkable. It's beautiful because it was caught on film, you know? So like you get to see the whole trajectory, everything they go through and, and, you know, um, wildfires that take place and how it somehow misses their property. It's like, that's not an accident. Their, their, their property was too wet. The sponge was set and it wouldn't burn. You know, that same thing happened in my dad's place. He's got five acres in the Santa Cruz mountains and they had fires to you know, take out all their neighbors. It didn't take, didn't touch their land. You know, like this is, this is literally how we, we secure the holdings of an investment to, to withstand what's taking place in nature right now, the upheaval of, um, you know, us being out of balance with, with Mother Earth is mitigated by healing the land. You don't have to worry about landslides. You don't have to worry about the big storm. You can, it can handle the drought. It can handle the fire. It can handle the hurricane. And I think that's pretty, that's pretty special and pretty needed right now. Yeah, you can, when you see that happening you're suddenly drought-proofing, flood-proofing, fire-proofing your land or mitigating it to a huge degree because the earth becomes a sponge. And so we had this last spring, um, it vaulted up into the 70s, 80s right away, and we didn't get any rain all through spring, summer, and... uh, we saw farms going dry. They're trying to do spot watering. And our system loved it because the whole thing was charged with water already. And so everything just boomed. And then suddenly we got tons of rains 
and then we just recharged all of our waterways, earth forms. So suddenly it's like, oh, climate extremes? Yeah, let's go. <laughs> yeah, I'll take it exactly. <laughs> oh, this is all the extra sun. We've been holding water forever. Let's go. I want to grow big now. Yeah, there's there's a perfection in that. And it's cool to see like, um, even like I, I hadn't even heard of the Empress tree until I was chatting with Adrian Grenier at his spot and he was telling me about it. And uh, Adrian's going to come on the podcast soon. And I was just like, this is, this is fantastic. The Empress, like you, you have all these supply chain shortages, whether they're manufactured or not, I would contest that they are manufactured to a certain degree. Either way, it's something we all deal with. You know, the cost of housing and building materials doubling overnight. You know, people, people recognize it now. If you were in denial before, you see it at the gas pump, right? But we look at that now and it's like, how long is it going to take to grow wood to, to actually have hardwood to be able to build with and do these things. Hear about the empress tree. The empress tree takes 10 years to grow to full maturity. It's big. The whole thing flowers. So it's phenomenal for all the pollinators, the bees, the, the butterflies, and, um, and smells incredible, and it's absolutely gorgeous. And you can cut the damn thing at its base, and it grows back like wachuma. And it grows back faster because the root system's already intact. Like that to me is like nature's in that maybe this thing's been around for millennia, most likely, but just hearing about it and with what we're the challenges that humanity faces going forward right now, you see something like that and you're like, oh yeah, the solution's always fucking baked in. If there's a problem, the solution is baked into the equation. It already exists. And that's a huge solution to supply chain issues, to building materials, to uh, even just something that's, that's, that's an incredible, if you're never going to use it for hardwood, like you have something that's absolutely awesome and it grows super quick and you can make more of them. Like this is, it's a really cool thing to see that, that nature has it in and of itself built into the equation ways to harmonize at all times, no matter how chaotic. Yeah, that empress tree, the foxglove tree is one of those ones that a sentinel that popped out of nowhere for me. I was like, oh, and here's another one I didn't know existed. Uh, Jim Gale was going to speak in Austin. He said, hey, can you uh, send me over some edible or plants that inspire you, whatever else? So I started looking. I was like, oh, yeah, that's a good one. This is another really good one for that area. And then here pops out the empress tree. And I'm like, Wow. It grows, it can grow up to 10 feet a year. Yeah, nitrogen fixing, edible flowers. You can coppice or cut it at its base and it just takes out a whole root system and grows another one. And then it's light, good for as a building material. Um, and that's one of many. That's a pretty incredible one. And it's gorgeous. Uh, that is like one of many of the sentinels. And same with the animal and insect world. I'm just like, wow, where did these come from? Uh, yeah, it's almost like timelines merged. It's like, oh, yeah, now you have the empress tree too. Uh, yeah, it's, it's pretty incredible what's out there. There are millions that are just, it would blow you away. Um, like I said, I've... Uh, Joseph Simcox just released his first of 11 called Bizarre Edibles, and he's the Indiana Jones of the plant world going into the tropics of the desert and coming out with some unimaginable stuff. Um, so I connected with him, and I said it'd be great to bring these two worlds together. Um, yeah, I'm never... 
not amazed. I'm not as surprised anymore, but it just keeps amazing me. Yeah, no doubt. Well, if you're in Austin and you've got my phone number, hit me up. I'll connect you to Chad. Uh, you've made this your, your second home base where you're going to be working with a number, and you're already working with a number of friends. But um, I absolutely love that this is the one place that you're going to be for a while till you decide where the next place is to inoculate and, and create gardens in. Um, let's talk a little bit about Steiner. You know, I, I was one of the first things that I asked you about was like, Hey, uh, you know, are you into biodynamics? Cause it's something that I want to dive hard into. And I've had a few people on from Shervin Jaferia to, uh, Jared Picard and different people that have really spent time in that field. And I'm always blown away. Like, you know, Paul check introduced me to Steiner's work and there has literally not been a single thing where I wasn't holy shit, like that level of understanding, especially when it comes to kids and, and uh, what Waldorf was created in, whether that remains that way now in the modern world or not. Uh, Steiner's vision of how kids learn and how they thrived um, was second to none, you know, and his vision of nature as well in having humans as the connection point, the antenna that connected heaven and earth, you know, cosmos to soil. Um, really takes, you know, organic farming far beyond what it is right now. And it's, it's, it is a lesser known thing. That's why I try anybody, you know, that I have on who has an education from Steiner, I really want to pick their brain. Talk about when you got introduced to Steiner and what were the things that grabbed you? Yeah. So maybe 20 years ago, I was delving deep, making many compost piles and, that's when the biodynamic compost popped in. And I was like, oh, wow. So I got his agriculture book, that series of eight lectures, and that pretty much floored me. I was like, wow, now here's somebody who's taking it into another world. Like it's the unseen world, and he's bringing in the cosmic and the earthly and bringing them together in something that when you read it, you're like, Nobody is putting that stuff together. Uh, his insight into to the human being and nature and then bringing them together with biodynamics was done in one season. Uh, European farmers said, hey, the bomb factories that were producing the fertilizer now, our seeds are not viable like they were. We're seeing the negative effects of all this. He went off one season to Dornach, Switzerland and came back with biodynamics, which brings in the constellations the sun, the moon, the earth, human beings, the herbs, the animals. And I don't think we've ever seen anything like it. I can't imagine seeing anything beyond, but I wouldn't doubt it. He was going to write a whole nother level of biodynamics also before he passed. Uh, but what he came up with alone in that first season, I feel like was a seed planted 100 years ago. And I didn't imagine biodynamics would even come on the scene just because it was so underground. Um, but yeah, recently, now you hear everything about it. Um, if you look at the wines with the highest bricks points, they're biodynamic. Um, and when you use it over a course of a few years, it's pretty undeniable. It brings a spirit to the place, a uh, spirit of nature. What Steiner said was... Uh, you're bringing in nature spirits. So I see it as you're creating habitat for that life force. His student, Einfried Pfeiffer and Maria Thun, 
were pretty monumental with their work also in biodynamics, but then came together and wanted to create something to overcome nuclear fallout. And they potentized it. Heinfried Pfeiffer passed away. Maria Thun completed it. And it's a very small compost, um, size of a small barrel that's maybe five gallons. And any farms that were using that when Chernobyl happened were able to withstand the nuclear fallout so that there was no radiation in the soil and it wasn't even on the plants. And then the neighbor farm would be completely contaminated. And these are the Russian government studies. And there are other wild things like biodynamics, like you see how people potentize seeds in pyramid structures or there's these cosmic towers. They're all pretty amazing. But what Steiner brought in was the whole human connection with this stuff that's accessible to anyone and you can get the results from it. Um, probably year, it was around year seven. Uh, yeah, I had the iPhone 7. Someone took a picture of my son was on my lap. And here it was a live photo of a, a big orb traveling in front and one traveling behind us. And we're just looking at ourselves. It's like, what? So we start taking pictures and they're flying through the ceiling, through the wall. And it's capturing what looks like a static piece of dust on a camera lens. Now they're actually light orbs flying around. So I go outside and I take a live photo and there's hundreds and thousands of them traveling around like rivers. Uh, and I can't claim to know, say I know exactly what it is, but it's definitely out there. Um, another way you can detect them is bringing together an ultraviolet spotlight with an infrared binoculars. So you think of the two fields just beyond where we're able to see in that in that spectrum and putting those two together if your land has those orbs you can watch them fly around i did this at the assetti ranch uh, so you're watching them in real time not just looking watch yeah. Real, yeah you watch them in real time um pretty unbelievable yeah the assetti ranch was the first time i was like someone said they're here i was like what's here and I, I randomly stopped at this farm, not knowing what I was going to find. And they were like, you're the first one here. I was like, first one here? Yeah, we're having this event. And then all these people came. This guy from Australia spoke. It was, it was pretty incredible. But once they said they're here, he brings out the ultraviolet spotlight, the infrared binoculars, and letting everyone watch these things fly around and coming out of the earth and going through the forest. I think that that too to what you're speaking to really negates the naysayer, right? The naysayer would say, and Wayne Dyer talked about this in one of his books, I forget, but uh, you know, if you're looking at a still image, then it's just, oh, that's just the camera lens bending the light that's in the room, right? But when you're actually staying fixed and seeing these move across your field of vision, <laughs> there's, there's the light's not changing. Like the, there's something in the room moving, right? I think, I think I've certainly interacted with stuff like that. Um, I'm trying to think of her name, Shelly Joy, who uh, is a PhD. Paul Check turned me on to her. She wrote the the Holy Trinity um, in Catholicism, Hinduism, and physics. So she connects. There's the Holy Trinity in each of those. She's written a number of books. Just she's fantastic. I think she's going to go on Lib 40 with Paul soon. But um, 
she talks about that actually in at um, Barton Springs. Uh, maybe not Barton Springs, but one of the one of the um, one of the waterways here, Texas and South Texas near Austin, experiencing an orb coming to them in the middle of the night. You know, like full on, like you can't tell if it's a whole fucking universe or a giant fucking. Maybe it is. You know, who knows? But like that interaction and description, she's she's layered laid it out in a few of her books. Um, it's undeniable when you interact with it, right? And like that's that's what's cool i think i've actually snapped a couple photos with bear i'll show you after we get off here where like you can tell <laughs> it's just, just rocking and rolling like it's right there with them on this land and we had uh another god nod we had the folks out from biogeometry uh i'll link to that in the show notes if you and I've, i know i've mentioned it before but there's a great podcast that dr ibrahim kareem and his daughter dorea did on, on living 40 with paul and uh, he's done a couple. We're going to have them on after he, after Dr. Ibrahim finishes his latest book. I think it'll be his fourth or fifth book. Um, this biogeometry is is really exceptional. And so we had people come out to the Lance of Centering Energy. You know, it doesn't block EMF, but it harmonizes it. And um, the importance of that, considering they're going to put 5G satellites in every corner of the sky, and you will have no dead space anywhere on Earth. You know, they'll be able to see every square inch of the Amazon. Like, it's surveillance state mixed with um electrical imbalances as electrical beings we're going to have to deal with biogeometry seems to be a very clear-cut answer for that but they came out and measured or digging measurements of the land and they're like uh what you know not not dr ibrahim and his daughter but uh two of their experts they're like what made you choose this place and i was like well we we just knew like parker had looked at 30 places but like right when we got here we're like yeah this is the spot they're like, yeah, there's a, the land itself is emitting BG3, this centering energy. This is what biogeometry is trying to create. Like, it's all over the place. And I was like, that's fucking cool. You know, and then we, I said, let me sh- show you, you know, kind of where the healing center is going to be. And we go down there and why, why'd you guys pick this place for, for the Maloka and the healing center? And I was like, well, everyone just knew it's right in front of our biggest pond. Like, it's a no brainer. And she's like, yeah, there's a power cord of BG3 right here. I was like, well, that's cool. That's a nice little bonus, you know, but they were like in disbelief, you know, like thinking of uh, it would take a high level practitioner to figure that out. We just sensed and knew like there was no denial. And, um, uh, you know, I'm speaking to that because Steiner spoke a lot about that, you know, moving away from the left brain, masculine, rational thinking mind and having to quantify everything to being able to feel into our experience, to intuit things. And, you know, really that's the space that moves beyond what the rational cannot figure out. And I think as we move further and further into the, the, the rapidly changing world we're in, we're going to have to rely on that more. Yeah, for sure. And I like how Steiner alludes to the earth being this energy source along to what's ever above the earth, but also how uh, Tesla connected that too, like that Tesla tower with the aquifer running beneath it, like the Great Pyramid was tapping into Earth, that's an endless reservoir of energy. Um, definitely some untapped things that are going on right now that, uh, like you said, the solution's out there. Um, well, I know we've got short time here. I wanted to, to uh, we'll definitely have you on many, many times as we, continue to work on this awesome project we got going here. And of course I'll be talking with other friends uh, out at their farms, you know, like Adrian Grenier and my brother, Cal, um, Greg Porter. We got, we got a number of spots that you're working on in concert with us. And I'm sure a number more will pop up in the area. 
But for people who really want to get into this stuff, uh, I'll make a little list and we'll link to it in the show notes. Agriculture by Rudolf Steiner. Uh, Desert of Paradise by Sepp Holzer. Sepp Holzer's Permaculture. And then another book that you just introduced me to, Richard Perkins' Regenerative Agriculture book. And we'll link to that in the show notes. This is like a fucking man, like a Bible manual. You know, it's a textbook. It's, it was 90 bucks. I didn't understand how much it was. It was in Svenk or something like that from Sweden. And I was like, cool. You know, and I only figured it out when I went to, uh, I bought an ebook and wanted to print it and spiral bound it. And Kinko's told me it was 250. And I was like, what are you talking about? Is there ink shortages? Like <laughs> what's going on here? And they said, it's, well, it's a very big book. It's a thick book. There's almost 800 pages and there's a lot of pictures in it. And I was like, oh, okay. And then when I got it, uh, the bound version, I started looking through it and I was like, oh man, like this is a textbook. But it looks like in that book, you know, you, you told me this would be a great book for us. Like it, it irons out every question, how to do giant greenhouses, how to do um, earthworks. There's a whole chapter on key line plowing, right? Which we just got a key line plow, super important. Um, all the way to how to make a small farm profitable. Like it literally answers every question you'd have if you wanted to get your hands into this. Talk a bit about what, what, who Perkins is. He's a young dude. Um, talk about him and, and kind of the credibility that he has and, and what he's up to. Yeah, um, he's brought a lot together. And I'm a big advocate for keeping the toolbox wide open. So bringing SEP stuff with Keyline Plow or any other inspiration. And he comes from a very cold climate where he's at now and has even done the time studies so he's not really using the tractor as much. His plots for the market gardener are no dig, no till. You're using the hand tools like Manasoba Fukuoka. And when you have those time studies, that's where the practical person can be like, oh, now it makes sense. I see the value in that. Um, yeah, he's definitely someone who's put a lot together and also proven it over and over and created a lot of practitioners that are now grounding this stuff. Awesome. And then it would be also <laughs> interesting when we're done with, with this project and where we're creating this sanctuary to see if there's a change in B3 or anything else that these people are reading. Oh, no doubt. There will be. There's no doubt. Especially, I mean, you think about the, the, the orbs, the earth spirits, whatever you want to call that, the nature spirits. Um, the even just with, with having fit for service here and the, the, the kinds of practices that we have during that, which are truly about transformation, you know, the, the legal ways we have an altered state of consciousness and we're doing it in a group, in a sacred, safe container where people can fully let go and drop in. That has a, uh, you know, that impacts and sets an imprint on the land energetically. And so the more often we do that, the more that the, that the earth right here is going to carry that energy. You know, every time you drop drop in a ceremony, no matter where you're at, that leaves a little a little imprint there, the energetic signature. And and obviously, you know, if you've got there's a difference between an eight people ceremony and a hundred and fifty to three hundred people ceremony, right? Like that just has a, a a different impact on the field. And I can already start to sense that having been here uh, since November. We had a couple of immersives at the beginning of the year. I ran one five day fasting mimicking diet where we did a sound healing at the end. Uh, my brother Eric Gotti broke down dream interpretation from Jung and the symbology of that and how that applies to altered states and, and how you'd, you know, psychoanalyze yourself through an experience like that and really draw the most nuggets from it. 
um, Auburn Vi did the Road to Union where they, they brought 50 single women, 50 single men, and then brought the expert, singles expert Mass, Matt Hussey in. And a lot of people made connections from that. You know, and then we had our first core event here, and, and every year we're going to be here for the big one. Every year we'll be in Sedona for the big one. And so, you know, Sedona, we've been out for four years, and it's, I've watched that transform. And we haven't even touched the ground yet. Like, we're going to start doing some earthworks and things there that will really impact that um, from the physical structure of it that also are going to impact the as above, so below. You know, and <laughs> beings without bodies will, will start to inhabit and be there as well. So yeah, I, I'm looking forward to seeing how BG3 changes here. You know, there, there, there is no doubt that that will have a massive impact on this land. No doubt. No, thank you, brother. I mean, fuck, man, we're just getting started. We've got so much left to accomplish and I have so much to learn from you. But um, just as, uh, you know, Sep took you under his wing, I'm excited to be under your wing now and to get to learn from one of the true masters yeah. on the earth, brother. I'll be flying alongside you. <laughs> Absolutely. Where can people find you? Uh, not many places. Uh, you can go to keystoneintelligence.org. It's just a landing page and contact page. Otherwise, yeah, I'm just coming out of hermitude and yeah, <laughs> shining and sharing the light. Beautiful, brother. Well, I know you got lots, lots in the making from uh, potential nature school to many different ideas that we're, we're going to be able to give birth to. So I love you, Chad. Thanks for coming on, brother. We'll do love it again. You. Sounds good. Okay.